And I'd like to turn back this morning to the story of Ruth uh, and from God's word uh, seek to hear what God is saying to us through this story. Uh, there's, we've seen a lot so far. I suppose basically we're reminded that this isn't just a love story, although it is a love story. It's a story that points forward to Jesus Christ because it speaks of uh, a redeemer. Boaz becomes a redeemer for Ruth and Naomi. But that's pointing forward and telling about Jesus, who is ultimately our Redeemer. Um, But it's also important because it reminds us that Jesus was always part of God's plan. It isn't an afterthought. Uh, And right from the beginning, um, he had a line, he had a genealogy, uh, he had a people from whom he would come. And in the genealogy that we've seen in in, uh, Matthew's Gospel, Ruth is one of the forebears of Jesus. And so we're seeing here in some ways that Jesus' line is being protected and being prepared for his coming. And that's very important. But I'm not going to deal with these these kind of um, mega themes today. I'm going to focus on a much uh, tighter theme from this passage, which is about temptation. Because in this story... It might not be immediately evident from the few verses we read, but if we'd read the whole chapter, and maybe I should have done that, uh, there there are elements of temptation that come throughout this passage uh, which are very interesting and challenging for us. And we know that where love is, and where there's a love story, also temptation's never that far away, and uh, it becomes a reality. And this love story is no different. And indeed where people are and where God is, where God is involved in any story, there's always the temptation to ignore God or to reject him or to go our own way apart from him. So temptation is always going to be uh, significant in a human story uh, with a divine input and related to faith. This is also a story about the faith of Boaz, the faith of Uh, Ruth and the faltering but growing faith of Naomi. And so within that, there's always the reality of temptation uh, to be unfaithful, to not trust and uh, not to follow God. Now, we often today, I think, particularly in the society in which we live, we trivialize temptation. (laughs) We kind of make it like, oh, I'm tempted to uh, have another bar of chocolate. Uh, As if that's the kind of Uh, pinnacle of uh, temptation we talk about it in a trivial kind of way I was tempted to this or tempted to do that without really uh, thinking through the the significance and the importance and the seriousness of it biblically we read that in the passage in James uh, the temptation to rebel against God and the temptation not to trust and relate to God um, so in, th- in that relation, or in that context, I think temptation to rebel against God is often about control, who's in, who is sovereign over our lives, who, who do we follow, who do we trust, in other words, which is very much what the story is about, and also about pleasure. What pleasure do we allow? What pleasure is uh, legitimate and good for us and fulsome and what is sinful pleasure that will uh, encourage us in our selfishness and maybe destroy our faith and separate us 
from the God who loves us and who cares. So temptation, I'm sure it relates to a lot of other things, but it does relate to control of our lives. I hope that makes it relevant for us uh, by way of faith and also uh, um, pleasure. I think our, um, our sensitivity to temptation in our lives reflects our sensitivity to God and to other people. The less sensitive we are to God and others, the less we'll be concerned about temptation. We'll shrug our shoulders. What the heck? Does it really matter? But I think the more we understand the nature and character and the grace of God and also our responsibility to other people as Christians, then temptation will be a, an issue that we deal with and battle with and fight against. Can I look at the two, two characters here, Naomi and Boaz, in this uh, story and see the different way that they respond uh, to temptation? Naomi, if you know the story, and Billy would have told this very well, Naomi is desperate not to be alone. And she's desperate to maintain the family line. And she can see that the way to maintain that family line and all that it represents is through Ruth. And through Ruth getting hitched with Boaz. Ruth getting uh, matched up with Boaz. And that for her is absolutely the hope that she has. And she wants to see that happening. And she is desperate to see that happening. So she doesn't trust God that God has a a plan within this so she wants to manipulate the situation so that it will happen by her way and so she says at the beginning of chapter 3 which we didn't read read she says look doll yourself up look good and put on your best perfume and go uh, go uh, down to the threshing floor where uh, Boaz will be and he will have eaten and he will have drunk and he will be so attracted to you that he can't possibly not sleep with you and just uh, marry you. And so he's, she's desperate for this. She's pushing these two people together. She's a matchmaker. You know a matchmaker? People say there's people in the church that are matchmakers. It's such a dangerous thing to do. Uh, to matchmake, to try and bring people together who maybe aren't compatible or whose time it isn't to come together. Anyway, that's she's tempted uh, to control the situation and not let God, not wait upon God to, to reveal himself through it. She doesn't trust him in this area. She wants to make the decision. She wants to be in control of what's happening. It's probably a bit like the very beginning of the story when there's famine in the land and she wants to feed her family. She doesn't trust that God will do it. So she leaves and goes to Moab with her husband where, to a place where God said for her, his people not to go. She wants to take control. Now that is often the picture in the Old Testament. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's probably often the picture of our own lives. We want control. We actually, we say we trust Jesus. We love him and he's our saviour. But we don't really, when it comes to uh, obeying and following him. If there's choices to be made, uh, we will often maintain control of our lives. Naomi was driven by poverty. She was driven by fear. She was driven possibly by a misunderstanding of God. She still was learning of his grace and his goodness. Uh, and so she was kind of insensitive to him and therefore insensitive to the people she was involving in her manufactured situation, i.e. Ruth. Uh, and that was play, placing Ruth in a very awkward and difficult position, and indeed Boaz. 
But she was willing to risk their integrity in order to make sure that uh, uh, the, uh, what she wanted to happen would happen out of the situation. Now, interestingly, uh, as she was tempted to do this and did it, uh, rather than wait upon God, uh, there's an interesting outcome. It is that though she gave in to temptation at this case to do what she wanted to do rather than wait upon God, uh, it was neutralized by the integrity and by the faith of Ruth and Boaz, who didn't sleep together, uh, but who maintained their uh, dignity and their integrity spiritually and morally. And um, God honors that. And God teaches uh, Naomi through that. He gently rebukes her through the powerful uh, witness and lives of Ruth and uh, Boaz. To such an extent that she learns more about the grace and the goodness and the forgiveness and the patience and the long-suffering of God in her experience. So that they maintain their integrity. Uh, Boaz promises he will deal with the situation and do the honourable thing. He provides uh, for her. He uh, maintains her dignity. And uh, he provides for Naomi. He says in these beautiful words in verse 17 that Billy wouldn't have looked at last week. Take these six measures of barley and give them to your mother. Don't let your mother-in-law, or don't go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Boaz, uh, through what he does, speaks God's grace into her life and says, Look, I know your situation. I know you came back empty. You know, if we go back to uh, chapter 1 and verse 21, remember these important words. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? Uh, I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. She, that's her experience. And yet Boaz is reminding her, saying, look, don't, it's the same word, don't, don't go back empty to Naomi. Rather, go back with all this provision and promise her that I'm going to act. And so God is is revealing that he is in control of this situation. He will, do, he will look after her. He will provide for her through Ruth, but it will be in his timing. And so God speaks through Boaz, even though Naomi had kind of given in to temptation. And also, we know that Naomi, we believe, learns through that. She's a believer. It's great. And I've said this before, I love Naomi. Commentators give her a hard time, but she's learning and she's growing. And here she is at the end of this small section that we read. Uh, she has advice to give to Naomi. Remember her, her advice at the beginning of the chapter? Remember where she was in control and she says, now, listen to me, Ruth. She says, go, go down to Boaz. You go. And she makes this command. And then at the end of the chapter, having learned of what is going on, she says, wait, my daughter. Don't go, but wait. She's learning. It's the first time, I think, that she's said that. That she's understood that God cares and loves and will provide, but she has to wait on him. His, Stop trying to control things, he says. Don't use, don't uh, shortcut uh, 
my ways by disobedience. Wait and just understand my grace. And I think that is a really significant word that she says there. It's almost like we like, finally, Naomi has learned a great lesson that God is sovereign and he loves her and that she doesn't need to force his hand. She doesn't need to uh, second guess him or try and get there before him. She doesn't need to suffer from, which we all suffer from, spiritual OCD. That we always need to be in control. That we always need to know exactly what's happening. And we make the decisions. And what we usually, what I often do is, I make the decision. And then I pray about it. I think, oh yeah, that's God's will. But it's really me that's, I've not really waited on the Lord. I've not really sought his advice. I'm simply doing what I'm in control. But I attribute it to God because that's what good pious people should do. But we need to be those who wait upon the Lord. That's a really difficult thing. And it's a challenging thing to do in our lives. Waiting on the Lord. Not jumping ahead into temptation and bringing other people with us into positions that might uh, challenge their integrity and their morality and their obedience simply to get what we want. So we see in our life of faith that same challenge, don't we? Who holds the reins of our lives when it comes to uh, decisions, when it comes to choices, when it comes to crossroads in our lives, when it comes to trusting in his promises? Because that's often, you know, God had made promises to his people and to Naomi, but she just didn't trust them. So when it comes to God's promises in our lives, are we willing to wait to see them fulfilled? Or are we just tapping our spiritual hands desperate uh, for God to act and he simply isn't are we dictated by him by his character and by his word and by his our relationship to him or are we dictated by circumstances so that we are all blown by the circumstances we find ourselves in at crossroads do we Obey, which sometimes will mean waiting on God to reveal his purposes. Or do we go and in so doing disobey him uh, because we are in wanting to remain control? Is our life about our glory or is it about his glory for us? I think faith very often for us is uh, I love Jesus as long as I get what I want. Uh, as long as he gives me what I want, or as long as he makes no demands of me. I love Jesus, but he's not to make demands of my life. He's not to be Lord. He is not to be obeyed. I think when obedience isn't an issue for us, or maybe I'll put this a different way, when temptation isn't an issue for us, it's probably because obedience isn't an issue for us. It's usually making Jesus Christ our Lord that brings temptation because it involves that challenge uh, about which way we're going to go and who we're going to serve and who is first in our lives. So I think the importance we give to his lordship and to his obedience, not legalistic obedience, but loving because he cares and loves. And that's what the story's all about. It's all about his loving care and protection and promises for his people. 
It's when we recognize that. He's not an ogre that we need to follow, but he's a loving savior that wants us to follow him because it's life. But within us, there's sin which tempts us to say, no, get lost. I want control. There we see that working out in the life of Naomi. Yet, praise God, we also see his patience and his grace with her that she learned, even though she gave into temptation, that his way, wait, is better. Then secondly, we see Boaz, and uh, we see his example here. Uh, I'm probably going to repeat a little bit from a story from last week here, but so he'd gone to bed. He's the leader of, you know, he's, he's an important person. He's a kinsman redeemer. He's uh, got all these men that work under him, and during the harvest, they all just sleep in the threshing floor, and he had a good meal, and probably had a bit of a skin to drink as well, uh, just to make him merry, enough to sleep. And, you know, the passage tells us he goes to bed happy. He goes to bed content, you know, glowing. And uh, you can imagine uh, he may have even been dreaming about Ruth. Because <laughs> I think he probably fancied her by this stage. Uh, he Certainly she was good looking and uh, she was young and he had spoken to her quite a bit. So maybe he was dreaming about her. But can you imagine the shock when he wakes up to find her at his feet? And can you imagine what went through his mind? What an opportunity. She's here. She wants me. We'll be married soon because I'm going to work out that we're going to be married. Let's just sleep together. This is my dream girl and she's at my feet. Surely this is of God. Surely this opportunity that has presented itself must be from God. This is the way he works things out. But he, he knows God and he knows what God's will for her. And the temptation just to sleep with her... Must have been real for him. Was it a green light? million voices going off in his head. But no, he recognized God's promises. He recognized God's order and God's pattern and God's way of doing things. And that he had to redeem her formally and legally and properly and had to deal with the whole situation, which you'll see in the last chapter. Uh, and so he waited Because pleasing God to him in that situation was hugely significant and doing the right thing. He knew God, he was full of integrity, and he was upright. Um, He showed restraint in that situation, knowing and believing that there was a better way and that there would be a more fulfilling time for them together as man and wife. And it was all... uh, Within his character, within his knowledge of God and God's grace. And he knew what the story was. He knew what was happening. And he knew that Naomi was part of that. He provides for her with this tremendous provision of food. And say, go back and tell Naomi, look, it's okay. I'll sort it in the morning. And I'll provide for you. You'll not be left alone. And uh, you will be okay. Things will be fine, Naomi. Please recognize I can see God working in this situation. So he maintains his integrity. He trusts God to work out. Now, I'm not saying for a moment that that was easy. It must have been a huge temptation just to, to go ahead there in that situation. But he, it was tough, and yet he remained there until the morning and in doing so he protects Ruth and her integrity because remember 
she was a Moabitess, they would have shrugged her shoulders and said, ah, she's a prostitute anyway. And she would have possibly been in great danger for her life uh, at that point. He acts, in, in other words, very differently from Naomi, who doesn't really go out to protect Ruth in this situation, whereas Boaz does. And he wants her to stay safe. He wants, them, he wants her to stay at his feet for the night because that's probably the safest place for her to be in that culture at that time. And then he wants her to leave early to avoid misrepresentation and scandal, both of him and of her. And... He provides by way of pledge. The gift of the, uh, the barley for Naomi was not just a gift. It was a pledge saying, I will act. I, will, I do understand. I will provide. And I will care for you through taking Ruth uh, to be my wife in, in that culture and in that situation. So we see his spiritual influence here uh, as a person who is trusted in God has a positive effect on Naomi and a positive effect on Ruth. And in, um, in 1 Kings uh, 7.21, uh, it talks about the pillars in, this, in the temple being built. And, and one of them is called Boaz. And I think that is God's way of saying, look, Boaz was important because of what he did. He is foundational in the way he reflects faith. And uh, because his name is, in him is strength. And so there is spiritual strength in him. And uh, that's significant and important. Uh, he's an overcomer. He doesn't just give in to temptation. Isn't it so easy for us to give in to temptation? And don't, doesn't he point forward to our great redeemer, Jesus Christ, who was tempted far more than we would ever understand or contemplate or be able to cope with for 40 days in the desert, but who overcame that temptation because he was our representative, our saviour, our substitute, and our Lord. And that huge, tough integrity is integral to him being our saviour as he went from that to the darkness of Calvary and to the uh, grave uh, of hell in our place. And so we see... That our strength, therefore, to overcome temptation isn't in ourselves. It isn't whipping ourselves into a, a, a frenzy of faith and saying, well, if I've got enough faith, I'll overcome temptation. It's not about us. It's about him who becomes our pillar and our strength that we go to, that we cling to, that we hold on to, that we depend on. And when we're tempted, we don't say, well, I just, I'm so weak, I'm just going to give in this once and I'll move on and God will forgive me. Yeah, I'm sure he will. But we have the ability in Christ as believers to overcome because he has strengthened us and empowered us by his Holy Spirit to be a spiritual influence for good, to be a pillar, to be strong. So I conclude, therefore, by asking a couple of questions that temptation forces us to ask in our lives. In our lives as Christians, if we are Christians, if we have put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, if he's our Lord, if we follow him, if we invite him to take control, as it were, uh, in a, that we will follow him and obey him uh, in our own strength, uh, 
or in the strength he gives us and in the grace that uh, he empowers us with. We ask, in my life today and tomorrow, is it going to be my way or God's way? When we're tempted, and it's particularly in temptation, when we're tempted to, to go against God, to disobey him, to not follow his promises, uh, is it my way or God's? It's a great focus, isn't it? Is it about me or is it about recognizing the uniqueness of me in Christ and following Christ to make me the most uh, individual and fulfilled person I can be? Is it my control and my pleasure or is it God's uh, way for us? And that might one, I mean, there's a million different ways that each of us will be, will be tempted in different ways. But in this story, maybe it's to do with sexual purity, as it was for Boaz. Is it going to be what the world says and what the world believes and, and what is perfectly normal for today? Or do we recognize God's model and God's pattern and God's way? Because it's, it's not simply a biological act that we engage in, but it's a, a reflection of us two becoming one, of uh, privacy, but of beauty and of an outworking of love and uh, commitment to one another in that great uh, sexual act. Are we shaped by him in that, or are we shaped by just the thinking of today? Which may be in that, or it may be in a million other different ways. Uh, because the reality is we are going to be swimming against the tide if we are Christians and if we take God at his word and if we recognize him for who he is. Do we know what it, do we practice or have we ever experienced waiting on the Lord? Uh, as Naomi finally uh, comes to recognize, rather than always trying to work out God's will for him before he has revealed it, she, she says, Wait. And have we ever been in that place where we wait on him in prayer, in relationship, as we talk, as we look for him to reveal himself to us through his promises and through his word? It's a great spiritual um, exercise for us to do. My way or God's way are. And, and who, is, who is my saviour? Who is Jesus that I, I believe in? Is he, is he the kind of Santa Claus figure? Or is he the insurance policy man that will keep us from hell at the end of the day, that we will call on on our last day? Or is he the saviour who is worthy of our worship and of our acceptance every day? Do we, do we develop him, uh, develop our knowledge of him? Are we learning of him as Naomi has been learning to move from bitterness? Oh, God's bitter. He's made me bitter. He's a harsh and oppressive God where God slowly unpacks himself and says, God is full, he's making me full, he's he's providing for me. It's a beautiful love story. Not just between Ruth and Boaz, but between Naomi and God. And what kind of saviour do we have? What kind of redeemer do we have? Is he a good and gracious and blessed redeemer? Or is he kind of a, a harsh, oppressive God that drags us into heaven by our fingernails? Do we ignore his teaching and his leading and his touch and his forgiveness and his blessedness in our lives. Do we know his promises? Do we know how great they are? Amazing uh, verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 
um, and verse 9. And with that, we're, we're nearly done. But as is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. It's beyond our imagination, his promises for us. Not just in the world to come, but in the fullness of life here. Yes, definitely in the world to come, but also in our lives here. Uh, what kind he has the most we could ever imagine is a grain of sand compared with what he has promised for us in terms of fullness and life and goodness and grace are we going to learn in our lives to wait in obedience on him i guess that's sometimes what waiting on the lord means it just means living in obedience it means sometimes therefore we'll not get what we want and we'll not get what we think we need and our prayers will be answered differently from what we expect. It just means that just the gloat Boaz was simply, he knew what he was doing because he knew his God. And it wasn't anything flash or dramatic, but he, that was the course of his life. It wasn't that dramatic, but he knew God and God blessed him because he had a, a clear vision of who his saviour was. And he therefore was learning to wait and Pray in obedience. And lastly, where is, where is our strength? Where is our strength in, in life? You know, um, we need to be founded in the rock that is Jesus Christ. We sung about that, the great rock who is our saviour. Uh, but also, can I say, I think we need to be founded in one another. Uh, Naomi's giving into temptation was neutralized by the faith of those around her Ruth and uh, Boaz isn't that great that's community that's community so when we fall if we have good people around us and by that I mean people who are looking to the Lord Jesus Christ who are love us enough to gently sometimes rebuke us and who we love enough to take that rebuke then isn't that a great thing that uh, we find our strength in one another? We're not just islands. We're not just lone rangers fighting for Jesus and everyone else are rubbish. <laughs> it's not like that. We don't judge other Christians and we don't say we're better than other Christians. We're looking for the help and support and friendship and partnership and uh, strength from others so that even when we do give into temptation they kind of neutralize it by embracing us into their uh, fellowship and friendship and love and that I think is a uh, a part of this story that we need Jesus Christ every day every moment every part of our lives but we also need one another as Christians we are to be a redemptive community. I've spoken about that before from Ruth. We are a forgiving, redemptive, long-suffering, patient, gentle, understanding community of one another. We don't wag our tongues at one another. We don't, oh, look at them. What a disaster they are. They're hopeless. They're worthless. That's not what we're to be. We are to be a people who are strengthen one another by the grace of God and over, therefore overcome temptation. And even when we don't, we know uh, the blessing of forgiveness and the uh, 
overarching plan of God working through even our failure. May that be true of us today and may we know, come to know this Jesus Christ much, much better in our lives. Know him, spend time with him, love him, develop that grace and warm-heartedness that he uh, will give us by grace and through his Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would teach us from your word, that we would understand uh, the, the, the depth of um, the deep-rootedness of our self-centeredness and pride and sin, and that that is often uh, damaging to ourselves as we give in to temptation, and also potentially damaging to others, putting them in positions, other Christians in positions of danger um, and trouble. And so, Lord, help us to rely on one another as we rely on Jesus Christ and as we seek his Holy Spirit. And may we do so because uh, we are adopted into your family and we belong and we are loved more than we can ever imagine by you. Um, Just help us to see that more clearly, we pray, and help us to overcome temptation in our lives. Uh, For Jesus' sake, amen.